Good morning. Praise God. So part of what God laid on my heart as I prepared for the sermon was his word. I hold two Bibles, not just one, two Bibles, that have the same message and God's same word. But God gave me the first scripture that we have, we're going to put on the screen. Every scripture that we're going to read and talk about after the first one, you're going to have to look them up. So there's several scriptures in place as we go through the sermon today that I'm going to give you the pages and I'm going to give you the book. So we have the English Standard Version and the New International Version. So I'll give you NIV and ESV. I'll give you where, what pages we are, what pages they're going to be on. I was told I only have 45 minutes, so I can't make you up, look them up as we go. We start this morning reading 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. In the ESV, it's pages 964. In the NIV, it's going to be page 1794. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any afflictions with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We're in this life. Are we alone? Or do we have a friend, a father, that will always be there for us if we know Christ as our Lord and Savior. We have the Holy Spirit. We start so young. We're born a gift, a gift to our parents, a gift for our family, a gift for the world, a gift from God. A gift from God. When we're little, we're looked at and we say with our little ones, we say, oh, they're so cute. They're so beautiful. They're so precious. We're a gift from God. But we're always a gift from God. As we grow, as we grow, what changes? What does Jesus say about the little ones? Jesus says, let them come. When people are around Jesus, he says, let the little ones come. Let them come to me. For they are a gift. They are the closest to heaven. Because we're so young so beautiful, such an early gift of Jesus as we grow. And we get older. 
as we grow up as kids. The main thing that we look for as we grow and talk about and always on our mind is that independence. Being children that are independent. You hear parents say it all the time, oh, he's, he, she is such an independent little child. They find things to do on their own. They keep themselves entertained. Do we want to be independent? Yeah, that's what we look forward to as we grow up. We look forward to getting older. But as we get older, we start to fall away from God. We were born as a gift. As we get older, we start to fall away. Now, going back to that one passage that we just talked about, Matthew 19, verse 14. In the ESV, it is page 824. In the NIV, page 1528. I told you I'm going to make you work for this. But Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Now the one thing that I was always taught is have a backup plan because your instruments will always go down on you. Old school. As we grow, some kids are incredibly, incredibly lucky. Of course, as kids, we don't consider it as being lucky. We, sometimes we're young and we say, oh, I gotta go to church. Mom, Dad's dragging me to church. But how lucky we are. Tony Morgan did a study. 19 to 23% I'm sorry, 19 to 23% of children, 19 to 23% are exposed to church before the age of 18. So that means that 81 to 77% of kids never get to go to church, are never exposed to God's word. I heard the ringing. 81%, 77% on the high end are never exposed to church. Okay. How many of those kids of that, 70, of that 23% stay in church after graduation? 86% of those kids stop going to church. 86% of that 23% stop going to church after graduation. That's a tough number. But there is good news. I'll get to the good news in just a minute. 
There is very good news. But we talk about doing it alone. Do these kids have to do it alone? If we expose them to Jesus? If we explain the word of God to them? We plant the seed. God does the watering. God does the work. Now, 86% stop going. Think about how we start here and we're getting to here. Before graduation. Before graduation, we've gotten to that point. I did say there was good news. The good news is nine out of ten Christians come to know the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior before the age of 18. Nine out of ten Christians that come to know the Lord come to know him before the age of 18. Now, as I prepared the sermon, I said, oh boy, we've got to reach the youth. We've got a great communication team that we're talking about now that's going to help with that. Got a tremendous church family that's going to be part of that and is going to help us with that. But I'd never heard those numbers before. We start here. We get so much smaller after graduation. But our opportunity is to reach them and to give the word to the youth. Nine out of ten. I was one of those. I was one of the nine out of ten. I was in high school. I was 16 years old. Before I jump forward, we talked about wanting to gain our independence. We talk about all the information as we grow further and further and further away from God as we get older. Why are we growing further? Because the worldly things become important to us. We want the independence. We want what everybody else has. We want, as teenagers, but the one is not today's message. It's about being alone or not being alone. We make our choices as we grow up. I talked earlier about, you know, some of our parents or some parents drag or bring the kids willingly to church. I was one of those kids that was dragged to church. I remember mom saying, let's go. Get up, let's go to church, we're going to church. Oh, come on, I can sleep. Of course, the cartoons were the only thing that were on in the morning, so we didn't have 150 channels. We had five, if I remember correctly, and one had cartoons. So we went to church. That church was called the Church in the Cove in Beverly, Mass. I don't know 
I don't know what, if it was a Baptist church, was a Presbyterian church, honestly, a Methodist church, I don't know. But I do know they taught me about God. Learned about God first. Jesus was Christmas, a baby that was born on Christmas. They talked about God. They talked about the Father, how great of a Father he was. That was my takeaway from church as a very young, very young person going to Sunday school. Now, I um, was a little kid, probably eight, nine years old at the time, going to church. Josh, turn me up. Eight or nine years old, going to church, learning about God, being taught about this great father that's there. That's my memories of church. Oh, how I needed that. I didn't know I needed that, but oh, how I needed that and how that was going to transform and affect my life. Because my parents were divorced. I was eight or nine year old's little boy. Every little boy wants a dad, wants a father. Moms are great, but when you have mom there, you take mom for granted. When dad's not there, you just want. You want the second parent. You see your other friends with both parents. You don't understand why you don't have both parents there. But as an eight-year-old or nine-year-old, you want to play ball with dad. You want to have the parent there. I remember being a little kid in my bed, going to bed at night, and saying, God, will you be my father? Will you be my daddy? Because that's what I was taught. That's what I remembered from church. And he said, yes, absolutely. How did I need that? Why did I need that? I'm eight, nine years old. Two years later, year and a half later, it's all I remember from the fourth grade. I was hit by a drunk driver. I was hit by a drunk driver. I was paralyzed. Absolutely could not walk, could not read, could not write, could not do anything. Guess where I was hit by the drunk driver? Right in front of that church. That drunk driver hit me square in front of that church. It was witnessed by my little brother. Now, back in 1982, they didn't have all this technology to read your brain, to understand what's going on. They had x-rays. I was hit by a drunk driver. I was protected by God. And I guarantee you of that. Because not one bone was broken in my body. I was ejected off a bicycle, thrown into the air, landed head first on the hood of that car. The only thing that happened to me was I was paralyzed. You say the only thing. That's not a good thing. 
But God protected me from that too. Because I don't remember any of it. Hit by a drunk driver out in front of that church. Everybody told me that he hit the tree and the tree saved my head from going into the wheel. God's hand. That tree's still there. The night before they were going to drill a hole into the back of my head to relieve the pressure, God made all the swelling go away that night. Miraculously, that night, all the swelling went away. They never drilled. I I guess I've been told I learned how to walk, I learned how to read, I learned how to write all over the next course of the past three, the next three weeks. I don't remember any of it. But I know that God played a hand because we talk about all the time that God touches people and gives people dreams. Dreams. The night before I started to remember anything God gave me a dream that my mother and I were driving in North Beverly, down near where Obusters used to be, if you know Beverly at all. She reached over in the back of my head, right where the lump still is to this day, and touched the back of my head and said, that is a bad bump. We need to go get it checked out. The next morning in the hospital, I remember everything from that point forward. Remember everything. So tell me God didn't put that dream in my mind. For him to say, you're good now. I don't want you to have any bad memories. And I can test to how bad it was because that doctor I met many years later with my wife, we were taking because I had a surgery and had some nerves dead from headaches. And that doctor that saw me that day when I was a little kid, was my consultant. (laughs) And he said, you're one of two bad crashes that I've ever seen in the town of Beverly, at Beverly Hospital. The other one died. But we're not alone because I had the greatest father that I could ask for. He protected me. He took care of me. As we grow older in our teenage years, we deal with so much. We deal with peer pressure. We deal with friends that think it's cool to go hang out with somebody else that don't understand the pain, the hurt of losing a friend to somebody else. The peer pressure. I mean, We, as parents, we talk and listen to our kids and we say, oh, I understand. We don't understand. We absolutely do not understand. Because when we were growing up, if you had a problem with somebody, you'd meet after school, you'd beat each other up, and after that, it was done. (laughs) Done it. But after that, you were friends. You gave each other a big hug and said, hey, bro, see you tomorrow. Have a great day. We got out our aggressions. Now, you go home, you have a cell phone. That person decides you hurt my feelings. So they can get everybody that they're friends with online 
to bully you, to push you around as a kid. That's tough. We learn every day about children committing suicide because they are hurt, because they feel all alone. You read where people take him to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist only knows what he was taught in a book, what he was taught in worldly lives, something that may have helped somebody else out. But where's the point where we talk about Jesus? And what an incredible friend you have in Jesus to talk to. Because he listens. He's waiting. He wants you to talk to him. He wants to take on the burden for you because he already has. He took all those sins, all the sins that we've ever and will ever do in every person, and he took them on the cross as he was nailed to that cross. This God had to turn his back for just a moment because Jesus did that for us. We talked about gaining friends. It's not just something we deal with as young kids, but we deal with it as teenagers. And we continue to deal with it as we get older. The hurt becomes more and more real. We keep it inside. We don't talk to anybody about it because we don't want to be judged by our friends or the people that we're with because, one, are they listening? They say they're listening, but are they listening? Because they have a million things going on in their life. It's not bad, but they're trying to be there for us. But our friends, once you ask Jesus into your heart, he's there to listen at all times. He is 100% all in. He doesn't say, mm, only on Mondays and Fridays, because I'm really busy on Tuesday and Wednesdays with the rest of the world. Gives you the Holy Spirit. And through that Holy Spirit, all things are possible. What does the Bible, what does God's Word say? Philippians 4 6. Told you I was going to make you work for it. So on page, in the ESV, you're going to look at page 982. And the NIV is 1830. These are God's words. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Don't be anxious about anything, 
How many times are we, I've, am I anxious? Flying bumpy, jittery airplanes. Every week, I stop and say, trust in God, trust in God, trust in God. Then you stop even thinking about the jittery airplane. The next thing you know, it's smooth again. The heading of the sermon is, why are we doing this alone or alone? Who is there? What does God have to say about it? What God says about it. But how do we get that comforter into our lives? How do we ask him? Will he take away all the pain? Will it be an easy road from that point forward? No, absolutely not. Does it still hurt? Yeah. Do we still ask why? All the time. Does things still happen in our lives? Yes. Do we still have pains? Do we still have hearts? Do we still have negative feelings? Absolutely. But God says, I got this. You're not alone. You're not walking through this alone. I will not bring you to it unless I know that you can go through it. It's a blessed assurance that God has for us. We have pains, we have hurts. We fight over some of the simplest things with our friends, our spouses. We get caught up so much in previous hurts or previous pains or previous things that all of a sudden come boiling to the top. As we're in a confrontation with a friend, with somebody, age difference, we still have the, you know, the beginning and the end of the fight are all still pretty much the same. The message in the middle of the argument's different. But what does God say about that argument? Proverbs 15. In the ESV, it's page 538. In the NIV, it's page 1822. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. What is God saying there? Yeah, there's going to be tough times. But don't let it continue into the night when you go to bed. When your head hits the pillow, don't be angry. Bring it before him in prayer. Pray about it. Talk to the other person about it. Because how many times do we have an argument that says, 
what was this all about anyways? How did we get here when we started here? We were arguing because I didn't like the drapes or blue. And we wound up talking about how you left me at the grocery store last week. Where did it change? What does God say about that? Proverbs 15.1. In the ESV, it's page 538. In the NIV, it's page 1005. God says, his word, a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. How many times in that argument is it that one word, that trigger? There is a trigger word that pops up. I look back at arguments and I say, yeah, I made it worse when I said X. That X was that trigger word for my wife. That she didn't, you know, really, it's something that set her off and caused it to go in a different direction. It's not her fault. It's mine. Because I said the trigger word. And I probably knew that's the trigger word because every time I say it, it pops up. How much different would that argument or that explanation have gone differently had we followed God's word and said a soft answer? Okay. You're right. Let's move on. A soft answer instead of those harsh words that triggers. Talked earlier about being young. Young age as a teenager. Kids now have bullies, have online bullies, have cyber bullying, have school bullying, have people picking on them when they walk down the hallway, people making fun of them. Not only are they making fun of them, but they're tweeting it to the world as they're doing. And we take, you know, we hear stories about kids that just got to that breaking point because it was a harsh word, not a soft word. And that breaking point Triggers so many different things. Teen suicide. Winding up at home. Spending the night alone. Crying yourself to sleep. Just feeling the distraught, the pain. We say, oh, walk away. Walk away. Turn your head away from it. It's okay, walk away from it. And they do it again the next day. And they do it the day after that. Because they know, they see the tears running down the child's eyes. They see the heart. And they continue to go after him and push on him. Or her. And they just let it bubble up and up. And, you know, we're trying to do the right thing as parents. We're saying, hey, it's okay. It's, it'll stop. I've seen 
people say, well, do the reverse action videos. It says, you know, you're a jerk. Well, that's funny. And just changing the reverse action. Even bullying, what does God say about that? What does God say about that? Romans 12, 19. ESV is page 948. NIV is 1764. So what does God say about that? As parent, we say, walk away. Can you look at a bully straight in the eye and say, As I read this and put this to God's word, I can see myself looking at that bully and just going, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You don't have to say anything as that bully's picking on you or somebody's pushing you around. <laughs> you just... They don't see any hurt because you know that you have the blessed reassurance of God. I'll let him deal with it. It's not something for me to deal with. If they're hurting a child or beating a different story, not only will God take care of it, but you know, the authorities need to be involved too because that is pure physical pain. But no matter what physical mental pain you're dealing with, the blessed reassurance that God gives us because we know Christ is our Lord and Savior. Never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. That is enough for me to go and walk away from somebody that's hurting me. We turn it all over to God. God wants us. And so many times in the Bible, God says, turn it over to me. Come to me in prayer. Turn it over to me. Turn your pain over to me. Turn your heart over to me. Praise too. When he brings us through it, let's give him the praise. Because one of my biggest fears that Keenan and I always talked about was my fear of flying. My biggest fear was flying. Proves God has a sense of humor. Because God said, here's a job that you're going to fly every week. 68 flights so far this year. But he brought me through it. not afraid of flying anymore. I enjoy it. It's relaxing. I don't want to drive. Before, I just wanted to drive everywhere. God said, I'm going to teach you. It's not, it, sometimes it's not just taken away. 
But he's going to teach you along the way because that's the right thing, and he's doing the right thing. You know, I talked about earlier about, you know, how I prayed for a dad when I was eight, nine years old. I said, God, will you be my dad, my father? But God knew, and it was part of his plan. He said, I will always be there for you. I will always be your father. But I know that you should have a dad here, physically here. And who's that dad? I'll give you your real dad. Okay. My parents lived so far apart. My mom was in Massachusetts. My dad was in Louisiana, I found out. Okay. God moved me to Louisiana when I was 16 years old. He said, trust me. Why in the world am I getting on an airplane to go to Louisiana? People I barely know. go to a school, it's a junior in high school. Let's go to a different school in the middle of nowhere, the Hick Town. Sorry, it was a Hick Town. In the middle of nowhere. Okay, but guess what else was in the middle of nowhere? God. There was a little church called Sandy Creek Baptist Church in Zachary, Louisiana. You look up Zachary, Louisiana, the only reason why that town will probably come up is for two reasons. One, an old football quarterback who played for the Washington Redskins went there. First back quarterback to win a Super Bowl. And little old lady from the Beverly Hillbillies was from there. I went to high school with her daughter. That's the only reason you'll find it on the map. But you'll find it on the map for me because that's where I met Jesus. At First Baptist Church, I'm sorry, Sandy Creek Baptist Church in Zachary, Louisiana. Now you have to imagine the first day of church. These people are in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden, as friendly as First Baptist Church is in Haverhill, people said, hi, how are you? We're good. Where are you from? I went to church with my stepbrother. He just moved there, too, the weekend after me. God had a plan. We said, wonderful. I said, where are you from? I said, I'm from Boston. Okay. And where are you from? I'm from California. You could see the looks on their faces like, this has got to be God's work. California, Boston, huh? But it was part of God's plan. Not only did he say, here's your dad, you get to know your father. Come to know your dad, but also... I'm going to teach you about this guy named Jesus, my son. I'm going to put it on your heart to want to know more about him, to give your life to him, because I've brought you this far. I'm not letting you go now.
before I got saved. I came to know Jesus. There was other pluses, you know. Like, he says, I'm not done teaching you yet. Oh, by the way, now that you know Jesus, um, I'm going to go ahead and give you a child at the age of 19. But I knew right away. Okay, God's there. I can pull through this. God gave me a blessing, a beautiful little baby, and said, here you go. This is part of my plan for you. Was it hard? Absolutely. But it was a blessing from God, and I knew it was a blessing for God. So even at 19 or 30 years old, The children were blessings from God, so I got to respect that and do the best job that God has put forth for me. It's pretty incredible. Not for me, for God. That he could give me the blessed assurance that even at that age or that point, he was going to bring me through it because he brought me to it. We have to listen to God's words. We have to ask Jesus into our hearts because without Jesus, asking Jesus to come into our hearts, who are we talking to? Are we talking to God? Can we talk to God without Jesus? Well, what does God have to say with that, about that? John 14, 6. ESV's page 901. And the NIV, page 1625. I'm going to give you just a minute because this is God's word. What does God say about that? Can we talk to God without Jesus? Jesus tells us in John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way. In the truth, in the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. It's through Jesus that we're able to have the relationship with God. We talked about the hurt, the pain, about not having to do it alone anymore. Because there's so many times that we feel like we're alone. But once you have Christ into your life, you're never alone. Isaiah 41.10. ESV is page 601. The NIV is page 1122. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand.
I'm just the messenger. That God chose today to deliver his message, to deliver his word. His word is in that book, is in the Bible. It is the truth, it is the way. Jesus said, I am the only way. We can't do it without Jesus. And we can't come to know God without asking Jesus to come into our hearts. I want you, just for a minute as I'm sitting here, I want to make sure I read it right. God's up there on stage, reaching down his right hand. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God's right hand is right there. What do we do now? There's no guidelines. God doesn't say, you can't have sinned. Of course, we all know we all sin. There's been one perfect person in the world, and his name is Jesus. And he got on that cross because he knew our sins. And he knew God's word, that he had to do that for us to have the availability to God. Christ paid it all. We've all jokingly and we've all heard somebody say, ah, they only knew the things that I've done. Guess what? God does. He already knows. Already knows. It's not new to him. He asks us to repent because that's new to us. It's not new to him. Repent so that we stop doing those sins and we move forward with a new body, with a new life, with Jesus. God put this sermon on my heart eight years ago. Eight years ago. I was down in Louisiana in a very small, beautiful church, well, it was actually pretty big, in Dedham Springs, Louisiana. After the sermon, they did an altar call. They had a pastor, and I believe the other pastor, the worship, was standing up front. An altar call is if anybody would like to come forward and accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior into their hearts and they'd like to pray with us, come forward now at the end of the service. We'll be here for you. If God has laid that on your heart, or if you want to renew your vows to God, that's a southern thing. 
You don't have to renew. God never leaves. But they gave people the opportunity to come forward and pray. And this young man, among other people, but this young man is one that caught my eye. Because you could tell emotionally he was ready. He's like, yes, God, I love you. I want you in my heart. I want you in my life. He went up front and he prayed with that pastor. And as he turned around, his best friend that has probably been praying for him for years was right there. And absolutely just gave him the biggest hug in the world. And like picked him up and rejoiced with him. That to me was a symbol. It's what Jesus wants to do for us. He's always right there. He doesn't just show up out of the blue. He's always right there. He's waiting for you to ask him to come into your heart. He's waiting for you to turn your life over to him. Because he says, I can do this for you. I want to do this for you. I love you. I love you. We've just got to ask him into our hearts. Because he's waiting, he's there. God said, John 3.16. Everybody has always probably heard John 3.16. It's page 888. In the NIV, it's page 1650. This is one thing we take for granted. John 3.16. It's in the book of John. It's not in 1 John. It's not in 2 John. It's not in 3 John. It's in the book of John. So if we tell somebody, just go look in John to find it, we have to say in the book of John. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus took all of our sins up on that cross and was nailed to that cross and died and rose again so that we can have eternal life but we can't do it without him. As a little kid, we go to vacation Bible school. We learn about God. We sing a beautiful song. And that beautiful song that I remember from vacation Bible school all the time was, Jesus loves me. This I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. A lot more to the song than that, but that's the memory. Jesus loves me. We can turn everything that's going on in our lives over to God, and he will bring us through it. But we have to do it through Jesus. And Jesus will give us the Holy Spirit to protect us, to teach us, to love us, to bring us through it. As we finish today's sermon, and as we go forth, if God has laid it upon your heart today,
to ask him to come into your heart. I'll ask Pastor Mike and Joe to come up front. I'll be up front too. If you want somebody to pray with, we want to pray with you. But it's not just about praying with us. Christ is right there. Christ wants you to turn around. When you turn around from saying that prayer, he's right there to give you that big hug, to welcome you, to give you the Holy Spirit. Picture that. Heaven rejoices for everyone, everyone that is saved. Heaven as Christ gives you that big hug, there's a party in heaven going on. Because God has waited for that moment. Because that is part of his plan. Turn the pain, turn your hurt, turn your suffering, turn each thing that you have over God because that's what he tells us to do. I'd like to close in prayer. Part of today's prayer is going to be the sinner's prayer. What is the sinner's prayer? It is turning your life over to Jesus, asking Jesus to come into your heart. If you say that prayer today and you want Jesus into your heart, I ask that you pray that with us and come forth and talk to us about it so we can help you go on the right path. God has laid it all out already. We just have to follow his plan. Please bow your head in prayer. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your words today. We thank you for Jesus and all that he has done for us, God. God, I've waited so long the hurt is real, the pain is real, the suffering. God, I can't do this without you. Christ, come into my heart, come into my life. I turn it all over to you. Make me a part of your life. Guide my life, Lord. Guide my heart to your will, to your way. Teach me. Help me to grow in your word as you would want to, Lord. God, because I can no longer do this without you. I've tried. I thought I could, but I absolutely cannot. It hurts too much. And I know from your word, Lord, your word says there's only one way. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. So today, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and lead it in the direction that you have planned for me, God. I love you and I thank you, Lord. I ask this and I pray this in Jesus' holy, precious name. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.